are once again tuning into Man Ascending. I am your host, Athenifist, and I am joined today, as usual, by my co-host, Riley. Welcome back, guys. So, today we decided to just have a really chill, laid-back podcast. Um, We don't really have anything... Uh, any topics in mind that we're going to be discussing. Uh, we figure we're just going to have kind of a free-form conversational flow, um, just kind of BS a little bit, I yeah. guess. It's a casual Friday today, so we're just going to have a try a couple brews and get ready for the weekend. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, Labor Day weekend uh, is this weekend, so I have a three-day weekend. Um, so we decided we'll just kind of do something chill where we're just talking. Um, so as Riley said, we opened up a few beers and we're just hanging out up here in, uh, uh, I, you know, I've always wanted to mention the space that we're kind of in. (laughs) (laughs) So our studio is nothing too professional, I would say, but it's pretty cool. It has a, it's a pretty cool uh, setting. It has um, a great view. Yeah, it has a great view. So let me just paint you an image. All right, so first of all, I think we've mentioned it before, but we live in northern Idaho, and uh, Riley lives out here on um, our aunt and uncle's property, and he lives in a tree house in the woods, essentially. Um, they have a nice little property out here on the mountain outside the city, and um, there's a tree house just behind their house, and uh, it's where Riley lives, his humble abode. And it's a perfect studio, though, honestly. Like, I love it because it, there's windows all around, so you just have a view of the mountains and the uh, trees. It's a lot it, of natural light coming in, too. Yeah, a lot of, lot of natural light, and it's uh, just a really serene feel, I think. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I, I um, had some tapestries up before. And I just took them down because no tapestry is cooler than the view that's out my windows all the time. So um, it's been a nice little studio so far. Uh, we still need to acquire a bunch of nicer equipment and stuff. We're still just passing around one microphone with one set of headphones and riding the tiger, as Pettiseth likes to say. Yeah, it's definitely a work in progress, but... It's fun. It's fun doing this. Um, and I think it helps both of us too. Um, you know, I tend to learn a lot and I tend to develop my ideas better if I'm talking to people, you know, I can work out a lot of stuff in my head, but I don't know if it holds any water unless I put it forth. You know, if I, if I don't put it forward and I don't let it stand to criticism, Mm -hmm. how am I going to know if it's true and it's not just my own delusion mm-hmm. um so i think just talking like this really helps uh, it's helped me tremendously mm-hmm. um i think it has with you as well right yeah definitely it has um even just on learning how to articulate ideas and stuff i ha- I, ha- I have a lot of work to do so uh this is uh, being helpful mm-hmm. but it's definitely going to be a slow pro uh slow plot <laughs> slow progress for me and i'm the exact same way i as i'm sure everyone who's who listens to this podcast uh has noticed i will butcher words constantly um i will say the wrong word or i'll just say it wrong and um but 
this is how you learn how to talk is by talking, right? Mm-hmm. You just kind of have to, uh, I guess, throw yourself to the fire. And uh, there's nothing like a conversational fire um, like a podcast, you know, where you're putting out conversations for the public to hear. And, um, yeah, it's fun. It's really fun. And really our vision with this podcast was to, um, well, first and foremost, it's just fun, like I said. Um, but also to just kind of reach out to people and um, try to, you know, really expand upon these pagan ideas and um, really try to spread them and get people talking about them and uh, hopefully try to find people who will reach back out to us and especially locally because mm-hmm. if it happened on a local level, that would be the best thing um, because I think everyone can admit that one of the biggest uh, issues we have today is the lack of community. There is no community. You know, people are, um, and I don't want to say it's the internet's fault because I feel like the internet has kind of, um, in a way it's given us opportunity to recreate community in a sense. Mm -hmm. But with that comes a lot of people who will, um, solely have, a virtual community right and they won't actually be participating in the physical community in their physical environment around them but it does it does allow you to reach people uh and i feel that i feel that uh, there's a lot of stuff that you can't say just on a day day-to-day basis to people right no one wants to talk about mystical experiences uh well i don't want to say no one but you know normies you know that that leads me to a very um funny memory so i go to get my hair cut and i'm just sitting there waiting for one of the ladies to be done with their current client so that i can go up so i'm sitting there for maybe 10 minutes and this guy, I'm just sitting across from him and I'm listening to him this whole time just tell this lady like all about the ego and like how, no yeah, how like <laughs> it was like he had then, you know, bringing up DMT and like saying like all this stuff and, like right there in the middle of this barbershop and he's like talking all loud and like she's not interested <laughs> at all, dude. She is not interested at all. Yeah. And I was like, holy cow, watching it for like 10 yeah. minutes. I was like, this guy's not getting the hint. Like, she's just trying to cut his hair, you know? Yeah. And he's going all into these ideas. And it was it was pretty funny to watch. Oh, man. It's, it's kind of hard not to once you have an experience like that. Yeah. You know, you just want to share it with everyone. Like, uh-huh. how are people not aware of this mm-hmm. state of mind? You know, these experiences. And um, because you realize, like, everyone is capable of it. Mm-hmm. everyone's capable of having an, a mystical experience most people just don't and most people don't know how to reach it and i think that is like what plagues our society is the thought that people are unaware of an ultimate reality that exists independently of them mm-hmm. you know oh yeah and once you once you become aware of this reality your whole life shifts right oh, yeah. because and it's almost like you have a mission at that point. You're like, my mission is to not only explore this reality uh, deeper, but to try to bring it to other people. And it's much like the sage talking to the people staring at the shadows on the cave wall. Right. Isn't it, isn't it strange to you though, that there are people who can do heavy psychedelics. They could, I mean, mushrooms, a lot of people have done mushrooms and 
doesn't do anything for them. Like, it's just a party drug to them. Like, they think of it like drugs, like, and alcohol. It's like, no, what the heck? I don't see how someone could have, like, this crazy psychedelic experience and just come back and be like, oh, no. Like, well, I think, first of all, a big part of it is no one, um, people kind of take this stuff nonchalantly. Mm -hmm. No one says, like, hey, you should really educate yourself for, like, six months before you, Mm -hmm. you know, go through uh, an experience like this. Mm-hmm. Um, if you were able to, and you know, and that's where the famous Timothy Leary uh, line set and setting comes from, right? Mindset, what you expect going into it, mm-hmm. and then the actual setting um, of the environment around you to cultivate the experience that, um, that you should have. Mm-hmm. And, most people, like you said, take it as like a party drug, or just like, like anything ravers. else. Like ravers. Ravers I, confuse me. And, you know, man, I really think that, well, first of all, whenever someone says like, oh, yeah, I've done psychedelics, but I, I haven't really had a mystical experience, I say you didn't take enough, yeah. you know? Yeah. And if you freaked out, that just means you took enough, but you weren't in the right, you didn't have the right set and setting. Yeah. So it's, you get either one of the, and I've seen people take mushrooms. I'm like, the and I'll ask them, like, oh, how much did you take, you know? They're like, oh, just, like, a few caps. I'm like, oh, like, I guess you'll, like, see some colors and stuff, but that yeah. you're not going to meet God, yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> and um, I think that's really part of it is dosage and then set and setting. Some people, they take, a, they take enough, like I said, mm-hmm. but uh, they don't, they're not taking it for the right reasons, so it just kicks their ass. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was just thinking earlier today, was in a pretty good mood. Uh-huh. I was just thinking, I said, you know what? There's a lot of shitty shit going on right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? And everyone kind of knows it and everyone's like, that's the whole mood and the whole vibe. Yep. Like nowadays it's like, this sucks. <laughs> like the world sucks. That is like the common vibe everyone has. Yeah. Oh yeah, stuff sucks right now. Oh, what's going on with it? We can all admit that stuff just sucks. Mm-hmm. But I was in a super good mood. I was thinking, just because the world sucks doesn't mean I really need to let it affect my life at yeah. all. Like, or Really what it is, it's like the um, deliberate uh, presentation of the world is what sucks. Mm-hmm. The news sucks. Mm-hmm. You know, how people present the world sucks. Yeah. Dude, I understand that there's like some suffering, there's some confusion. Uh, there always has been. There always has been, but on a local level, yeah. things are pretty cool. Yeah, you know, we don't live in Australia or that's New true. York or. That's true. We don't live in Australia or any of the places where they're having a lot of crazy. Um, it's starting to turn into a police state, honestly. Um, but here in North Idaho, things are cool, man. You know, I go scuba diving and we're going like, we're going out swimming and, uh, eating. We don't, we're not wearing like our face diapers, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, things are cool up here. Um, we're going to get some kind of a little flag on our podcast. Yeah. Misinformation, right? Or whatever. Some link to the CDC website talking about where they want to put us in concentration camps. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. For those people who don't know, um, and we haven't really touched on this subject at all because we've mostly been focusing on metaphysical, um, metaphysical content. But for those who don't know, go to the CDC website and look up 
uh, shielding. Look up what shielding is. Uh, it'll blow you mi- your mind. It's talking about keeping the high-risk people, i.e. Um, the unvaccinated uh-huh. or people who don't get the jab. Maybe we should start using that lingo so uh, you know those flags don't pop up. But I really don't care. Um, if you're if you're not red pilled on this situation by now, then I consider it hopeless. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's enough going on to where you should have some awareness that this isn't good. Um, but ultimately the good prevails. It really does. So I'm not, I'm not pessimistic about it. I'm like, yeah, you know, some people, I mean, we're, it's the iron age. We we had a whole podcast on this. We recognize we're in the iron age. I'm not surprised. Um, but I'm not going to let it affect my state of mind. I'm not going to let it push me to, um, like a depressed, you know, state, or I hope you guys can hear that squirrel in the background. <laughs> just going. Yeah, I've got going. one real angry squirrel that lives out here. Gotcha. Yeah, we have the doors and windows open because it's a little toasty up here. But uh, all of the furry friends are kind of yapping right now as it's uh, close to the evening. But yeah, um, like you said, like mm-hmm. I think people want us to be afraid, oh, right? Yeah. Uh, there's a kind of fear mongering mm-hmm. that's going on. I mean, that's how the news survives, uh-huh. right? It's through fear and a fear's the real virus. It really is. It's a virus of the mind. And it is, um, you know, one of my favorite books is Dune. Um, I'm really happy they're making a movie about it, but one of the lines in there is fear is the mind killer. That's what he says. And it's so true. He's going through like these rigorous mental exercises and he says to himself, fear is the mind killer. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Um, death isn't the opposite to life. Fear is because fear is the only negative that exists in life. It, what makes you push against the current of the divine, right? Um, by living in fear, you're essentially trying to deny what's good. You're denying what's true. Um, you're giving into ignorance really, because if, you know, people who are enlightened, like enlightened individuals, they're not fearful. Well, there's nothing to be scared of. There's nothing to be scared of. You were never born and you will never die. Like, what, what, why hold any fear? That was one of the um, feelings that I got out of reading the Bhagavad Gita was it's so comforting. It'll also totally slap you in the face, though. You know what I mean? It's like uh, it'll tell you things like that, you know, but you kind of want to argue against for a second you know like hurts your ego a little bit and then you're like oh i don't know if i agree with that part you know they're like oh it's right like i'm a piece of shit (laughs) but it's a very very comforting book Uh i love in that book the um i love the visuals that come with um you know when he's describing time and he's like i crumble mountains i gnaw on men on entire armies entire civilizations crumble before my mouth uh, these giant gaping jaws consume all and then he's like what are you and he's like behold i am time itself it's like oh my goodness <laughs> you know it's one of the heaviest i think um one of the heaviest little sections out of any book I've read, it's like, oh my goodness. It's, and it speaks so true. It speaks directly to your soul. You, you recognize it's truth. You're like, yeah, really. Um, and you know, time does consume all, but 
really time as we know it only exists here in the realm of change. Time has to be linear in order to experience change or becoming, right? Uh, passing and di or dying and um, and blooming, right? It's I hear uh, Kronos is often related to t time, isn't he? Or who? Yeah. Uh, so there is a distinction, even though they they are related. Um, there's Kronos, K R O N O S, and then there's Chronos, which is C H R O N O S. Chronos is Father Time, um, with the C H. That's Father Time, and then Chronos with the K is uh, the Titan and the father of Zeus. But I think at the end of the day, they're they're interrelated, as mm -hmm. as all this stuff yeah. is. You know, um, I actually just man, it it. I just gotta say, I commend the temple teachings greatly um and for those who don't know the temple offers um colleges or courses um following the eomblican um the eomblican order of uh philosophy theology and theurgy and um the theology course was one of the most eye-opening to me i think because it takes myth and it explains its metaphysical uh, reasonings or its metaphysical truths and one of the one of my favorite myths now is the creation story of chronos or of you know uranus gaia chronos zeus um and i just was listening to a podcast what's it called thinking aloud by um what's his name something mishlov really cool guy really cool guy and he always has pure grimes on who's one of my favorites you know uh i I try to watch everything of Pierre Grimes. I, I love that man. Uh, one of the great philosophers of our time, and um, he's akin to Plato himself, I would say. But they were discussing Homer, and they were discussing the myths, and they brought up the creation myth of uh, you know Uranus, Gaia, Kronos, and again, I forget his name, something Mishlov, um, the guy who hosts the show. But... His idea of, and even Pierre Grimes' idea of that myth kind of surprised me. Um, Pierre Grimes is more, I think, in line with my view on it. But um, Jason, is it Jason Mishlov? I can't remember. But uh, Mishlov said, what I can tell, and let me just tell the myth real quick for those who don't know. Um, so basically Uranus represents heaven or the sky, and um, he... His wife is Gaia, the Earth, and they have uh, children, which are the Titans. And what happens is Kronos, and, and I should say, Uranus, um, he condemns the Titans to Tartarus, right? Where he kind of locks them up. And he's almost disgusted by his children because they're like ugly forces. Um, remember, the Titans are raw forces of nature. And what happens is um, Gaia, and there's a reoccurring theme here, keep this in mind. Gaia, um, because she is so saddened by by the imprisonment of her children, she conspires with Kronos to overthrow Uranus. And what they do is Kronos uh, castrates Uranus, heaven, right? He castrates him so he can no longer have children. And this also kind of, um, you could say, feminizes him or... Uh, puts him in a state of 
you know, he kind of subdues him and makes him submissive to his own uh, masculine energy because masculine moves upon the feminine. So what happens is Kronos then um, gains power and he gives birth with his sister Titan, Rhea, to the Olympians, right? To the gods, to uh, Zeus and Poseidon and Hera and, um, you know, all the gods that follow. So then, again, another um, another act of this, or uh, again, this re reoccurring theme comes up. Uh, Rhea conspires with Zeus to overthrow Kronos, and Zeus castrates Kronos, and he then um, he then becomes the leader, the ruler god, and he gives way to the rest of creation. So they, the way they saw this, or I should say, Mishlove specifically s viewed this as a kind of authority figure being overthrown, and like it was like overthrowing a corrupt leader, but you know, that's kind of a shallow perception of it. And I can't remember exactly what Pierre Grimes' view on the matter was, but I, I kind of disagreed with him myself. Uh, he had some good points, but, and this is when I really appreciated the temple teachings because th really what's going on is, you know, the gods are nothing more than divine cosmic principles embodied as uh, personified beings, right? So that we can understand them, bring them down to our level, per se, and um, try to relate to them, right? So yeah. we can begin to understand them. And really what's going on here is Uranus. <laughs> we just heard our ant yell in the background. I don't know what's going on down there. Something to do with the dogs, I'm sure. But Uranus... Uh, he represents heaven, right? And when heaven moves upon earth, um, they give way to the titans. And the titans, again, are these raw forces of nature. And Kronos is the leader titan. And when he castrates his father, um, it is showing these principles, the unfoldment of these principles that eventually give way to the emanation of being, right? And so heaven, of course, is kind of the starting point or, uh, you know, the divine, which... Um, even precedes heaven, which would be the one, but that's kind of the starting point. And then it has to give way to these raw forces of nature and they're kind of unchained, unhindered beings, right? And these Titans then overthrow heaven, castrates heaven so that, uh, kind of subdues heaven as, as I said before. And then Zeus comes about and Zeus castrates Kronos. So it's like the... Uh, Sorry. One way that I remember thinking about this was the Titans are, they don't have much for intellect, right? And then Zeus comes in. Well, that's actually not quite true because Kronos represents the first um, intellect. He represents the first noose who contemplates the ideas. Um, and he contemplates the ideas. And then Zeus comes along and Zeus organizes the ideas and emanates them into being so he gives them order so it's like it's almost like showing a, a um, i don't want to call it disharmony but a kind of uh, bouncing back or reversion from uh perfection to not quite chaos per se but uh disorder which is personified as the titans the raw forces of nature and then zeus comes along and orders them so it he reestablishes harmony right 
And really what it's explained is the unfoldment of these principles that gave way to the emanation of being. Zeus is the celestial demiurge. He takes the ideas that were contemplated by Kronos and then he organizes them and emanates them into being, thus giving them order, thus uh, perfecting them. And this isn't literally a linear process that took place, right? How the myths are explained, and forgive me, I don't remember who was that said this, but... Um, they aren't they didn't happen but they are they always are so it's always what is happening right um isn't it dionysus who's always torn apart yeah and that's you know dionysus is at the other end um after zeus zeus has uh you know dionysus is a son of zeus and dionysus dionysus represents the sublunar demiurge and what happens to dionysus is that his and of course, we live in the sublunar realm. That's what we call our realm because it's realm subject to change. The moon changes; it's over our realm. That, uh, uh, hence, yeah, that squirrel is going crazy. Hence, sublunar. So, Dionysus is torn asunder by the Titans, the raw forces of nature. Dionysus is a is a demiurge. He's a pure. Um, uh, he's a pure divine being. But when he's torn asunder, and the world or the material world is made out of his parts. It's representing the mixing of the soul with the titanic forces or the mixing of the spiritual with the material and the couplement thereof or the entanglement thereof. And that's what we are. That's what the material is, right? It is the entanglement of um, it's the entanglement of raw forces of nature and the divine soul and this is represented in multiple cultures uh in egyptian it's osiris osiris himself his body parts were torn asunder and um this is why all of the initiates as they're preparing for death because that's what the philosopher does he's one who prepares for death um they go through like the rite of osiris and they talk about the that squirrel man i don't know if you guys can hear it but it's going crazy out there yeah i don't know uh i see it oh i see it right there it's right to your left it's a uh looks like a red squirrel yeah he's uh he's an angry one. Oh wow he's doing some acrobats but <laughs> anyway in the egyptian culture osiris is represented the same way he's torn apart and um what the initiate does is he rejoins the uh, members or the uh, body parts of osiris and then he is able to transcend as or as plato said i believe it's plato i could be wrong on this but as plato says you collect or gather about all of the soul from all of the different parts of the body and once you have the soul yeah it was it was in the phaedo uh once you gather about the soul it is an act of purification mm -hmm. and this is how you transcend right you separate yourself from the material world and this is why as these e egyptian initiates were going through these rites they would save they would embody the god themselves and they say behold i am osiris and the parts have been rejoined right because they are now ready to uh, go through the process of dying. And this is also represented in the Christian, uh, Christian theology as Jesus, right? That's why everyone says Jesus is the way to God, you know, it's through Jesus. It's because um, they took this from 
uh, the Greeks. They took this from Hellenism, and Hellenism was obviously inspired or impacted by Egyptian um, philosophy and Egyptian theology. Of course, Plato, Pythagoras, Iamblichus, they all went to Egypt to study. Uh, most of them did. There's a lot of cross-cultural uh, integration and um, development and innovations, right? So, Jesus is seen as the same way. You know, he was crucified. He was the God who came down to the material realm and was crucified. And it's only through Jesus that we can return. Um, granted, I don't like <laughs> that tradition as much. I don't think it's as potent. I don't think it's as effective. I think there's a lot more. Um, again, I go back to the old quote. Uh, Christianity is like a fire that produces more smoke than light. You know, there is some light there, but there's also a lot of smoke that can cloud your view and and uh, ultimately give way to confusion. Yeah. But so I don't remember how I got started on this, but I, th I, I love that myth. Yeah. I think we're talking about myth. Yeah. I mean, a big part of the problem is a lot of Christians would just flat out disagree with you. And they're like, oh, no, this they're just, you know, there's no underlying symbology to it. You just need to believe in Jesus and he died for you and you just repent. You know, there's not... Uh, much works involved it's just believe yeah. and you're saved in yeah. a lot of situations there are obviously a bunch of different um sects and a bunch of different ideologies that you know different religions within christianity but um yeah um there are i think there's a great resurgence right now of a lot of esoteric christians and um they're really looking at the parables of Christ and looking at their deeper underlying meanings. Um, and you know, that's, that's cool. Like that's a lot better than it is harder and you get less of a yield. I, I think you're ultimately right. And I think in order for them to truly, um, reap the fruit of this, they have to really go to, uh, Neoplatonism because, the teacher of our teacher, um, he always said that Christianity is Neoplatonism grafted onto a Jewish body, right? And that that is what it is. Like that's what Christianity is. And uh, they, I mean, even you can even see it in like their creation story where they say in the beginning was, you know, they say the word, but the Greek uh, that it was written in is logos. And Logos, as we know, is a huge, um, it's a huge platonic uh, truth, right? It's a platonic concept. And uh, the Logos is basically the emanations of God or the intelligible natures of God, the intelligible principles of God. Um, the whole universe is created or is, um, is, is the Logos and it is really an icon or a um you could say a shrine to the one right the ineffable right um i believe he also said this is a hard quote and i don't remember if i'll get it right but he says um a christian is as far of a good person as they are or like directly equivalent to as far as they are neoplatonic like he's just saying um christians are good people but the more neoplatonic the understanding, you know, is to the extent that they're a good person. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Because really what they're doing is they're just, um, you could say, clarifying the smoke, purifying the smoke, and they're making it less and less thick and dark. And All the good things that come out of Christianity come from neoplatonism. 
or to put it more bluntly, maybe more controversially, all good things that come from the Abrahamic religions come from pagan religion. Yeah. Honestly. That's that's a much more concise way of saying it. It's a much more accurate way, yes. Um, And you can even see this through a lot of these um, early Catholics, like Marcillo Ficino and Pseudo Dionysus and... uh, and the like i mean they all got their philosophies that they eventually worked into uh you know christian theology they all got them from plato plotinus proclus um they got them from these ancient pagan philosophers and most christians don't even want to acknowledge that you know most christians uh will kind of write that off or most of them don't even care most of them are like so unaware of it and they're so uh, superficial with their own understanding of their own faith um, like you said it attracts a lot of people who just want something easy they just want it they just want to be able to say oh i'm saved oh why are you saved because i accepted christ mm-hmm. the fuck does that mean you know <laughs> yeah please tell me like explain that and they're like, i just you know accepted christ into my soul i'm like how what did you do that i just accepted it it's like what I don't even think you know what you're talking about. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and uh, they feel like they don't even need to understand their own religion. So yeah. many people are like, that. like, ah, I'm just this religion. Like, yeah. okay, do you know any of the major canon? <laughs> you know, yeah, like, right. no. Like, yeah. my grandma was a Christian. She's a great woman. You know, yeah. it's like, okay. And you know that speaks to like what we're talking about earlier. Most people just don't care about spirituality in general. Most people just don't mm-hmm. want to think about those things. You know, it's when you start thinking about those things, it can be uncomfortable because it's kind of foreign, especially in today's age. You know, most people, dude, and I always go back to like our school systems. Our school systems have failed us. They are failing us continuously. Everything I think that I learned, all valuable information was outside of school. And I would know because I stopped going to school pretty early. Um, (laughs) I mean, not earlier than some, but, you know, like junior year, I was gone. So I think you were the same way, right? So I think we realized, like, this place doesn't have any real truths that it's trying to teach me. You know, it's it's more just trying to mold you into a certain person to fit into a certain place within society. Um, And I just want to add... All of our school systems, they were put in place by Big Oil. What's there's, that there's a yeah, there's a great documentary called "How Big Oil Took Over the World," um, basically trying to create a servile class or a slave class, right? Without um, being too obvious, like without being candid about it, you know. Yeah. Um, for instance. <sighs> Benjamin Franklin, one of his great quotes, he said, there's two ways to enslave a nation by the sword and by debt. And that is so true. That is so true. You create a slave nation by a kind of circular, uh, circular function or a circular action of keeping people down by overwhelming them with worries, right? Worries that are, supposed to act as direct as distractions comes back to fear exactly that's why fear is the mind killer right it really is like i love dune and that's such a great quote (laughs) i have not even seen dune or read the book or anything so i've read the book but i haven't seen 
like the movies they already made about it because I know they made some movies, but I heard they were no good. They were made a while ago, but uh, this new movie that they're coming out with, I forget the guy's uh, uh what's his name, something Villeneuve, but really good director, and uh, it looks like it was really well done. I'm super excited. You're gonna like it. I know you haven't read it or don't know about it, but you'll like it. We'll have to watch it together. They're putting it out on HBO, so we don't have to go to the theaters. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, did you ever read 1984? I remember we read it in class, but I remember also like not being there a lot. <laughs> I don't I don't remember, but I know the gist of it. Like I've seen the movie. Oh, there's a movie? Yeah, it's old. I have to it's watch it. Cheesy. It's an 80s movie. Oh. I think it's 80s, but I get you know I get like Big Brother and all that. Yeah, I didn't read that book until I was maybe 25. I don't know. It was two or three years ago. Um, I hated that ending, dude. Do you remember the ending? I don't remember it. Okay, I'll give you a mad spoiler. But it says, he loves Big Brother. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) It's like kind of like the end of um, Clockwork Orange. Uh Uh (laughs) That movie's a trip, dude. I didn't like it, though. (laughs) It really is a dark movie. Yeah, I know. It's a weird one. It's a weird one. It makes you feel like, wow. You like those psychological thrillers, yeah. though, because you your life is a psychological thriller. <laughs> those are fun. Um, did you ever see The Lighthouse? Oh, yeah. I've seen that. That one's I've good. Far loves that one. So I found out, dude, Far loves, like, really weird movies. She loved Midsummer. Um, she liked Midsummer. The, Midsummer, yeah. yeah. She liked The Lighthouse. Um, and then... She said she loved Eraserhead, dude. I've never seen Eraserhead. What is that? It's a movie like most people turn off with it in like five minutes. Like a human centipede deal? No, it's just like bizarre. Like there'll be like no dialogue for like five minutes and they're just like doing this weird stuff. Then suddenly they'll talk for a second. You're like, wait, what the heck? Then they're like, not. I'll sh- I'll start it for you here like later. What's, I guess, the point of the movie? <laughs> I fell asleep. I fell asleep real quick and far watched the whole thing. And she liked it, huh? Yeah. I will say one of my all-time favorite movies, um, 2001 Space Odyssey. That's a good one. Most people get bored by that movie, but I will keep going back to that one. That one's one of my favorites. I haven't seen that one forever. I'll probably watch that one with her. But you know what movie we just watched? watch that one with her. I will, I will. You know what movie we watched like two days ago that's like one of my favorites? Misery. Misery? Yeah. Oh, that's the one about that the black lady and she has like a terrible life, right? No, that's precious. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> a little different. <laughs> Even the name is totally yeah. different. But misery is the one where the the writer gets in a car accident. It's a Stephen King one, and then he gets like held hostage by a lady who's keeping him, making him better. I'll have to see that. You haven't seen that? He has like cabin fever or something. No, no, no. You gotta watch it. Okay. It's so good. You. Dirty little birdie. You to, oh, you'll have to watch it. Okay, interesting. Uh, yeah, far loved that. I I like I like a good movie though. You know, I feel like cinematography. It's uh, man, it's so different. Mm-hmm. I mean, just looking up. But then again, then a good movie will come out, and it's you realize like these really good movies are uh like you know one every 10 years that you get like a great movies once upon a time in hollywood, once upon a time in hollywood. maybe once every five years how about that yeah. because i would say lighthouse is one of the great ones of our of yeah. our time you know 
it was just such a good it's like i loved how they incorporated like the mermaids and dude dude. the acting and that and the lighting it was like very um godfather-esque with the lighting you know that acting was just phenomenal it's two guys you realize that this movie's just these two guys talking you know and that's how you that's what makes great movies it's Uh like people really tapping into uh the deeper parts of the mind you know Mm. and when it comes together so well with just the cinematography, you know, the lighting, the dialogue, the, the, sh- um, you know, all the, all the angles that they that's do. How it, that's how it feels when you do mushrooms, huh? Yes. Like, like, and you can go into one room and the lighting is different than the room you just left. So it's like, you're in a new movie. Yeah. Like now I'm in like days of our lives. Like this is soap opera lighting. And then and I go, you know what it's doing? What? I'm realizing it's invoking a deep experience. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, but seen through the senses, uh-huh. but it brings you somewhere immaterial every time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, think about just like stuff like The Sopranos. You know, so real that it uh-huh. it really feels like it's taking place through this um, uh, through this interface that is like sense perception. And, you know, it's not uh-huh. a flat screen; it's just colors and uh-huh. sound. But it brings you somewhere mentally, like in an Ooh, immaterial space of is, feeling. It transcends the the senses. Like you're in that house, or like you're in that room, like you experience yeah. it in a way that I could totally say. I mean, that's even with things like, you know, any comedy. You're you're there too. It's just like a funny, ridiculous one. But The Sopranos is ridiculous, man. Yeah. I love The Sopranos. Yeah. I think I think you can pick up on what's bullshit and what's not you know i think that's why most a lot of movies are just bullshit they're what you would call flattery what plato would call flattery and then there's movies that are actually art it's like the departed like it's just movies that are meant to (laughs) it sounds corny and lame to say about movies but once once you're finished watching it you're a better person <laughs> like you're more aware in a way sometimes you know? you're like hyper good person like you yeah. watch rocky and afterwards you're like yeah i'm gonna be working yeah. out hard yeah. <laughs> but even watching something like that's saddening you know even uh-huh. wa- like or a psychological thriller if it's well done you might you're not just going to, you you're going to kind of you did a journey it's almost like a, a psychedelic experience you know like uh-huh. you said with mushrooms yeah. because you're going through a drama of being and and oh, what you learn from that are these transcendental truths or these metaphysical truths that transcend the interface itself that pr- that transcend the medium that they're going through like a symbol right it speaks to the mind and it takes you somewhere it takes your soul somewhere mm-hmm. you're watching or any any experience you have that we you know we perceive everything through the senses and the goal of that should be to transcend beyond the senses. Most movies are only trying to appeal to the senses itself. That's uh-huh. where you get the overuse of sex and violence. Uh, and, yeah. you know, if it's not done artistically, it's going to do nothing for you uh, if you're John looking for that deeper pretty, experience. John looks pretty cool, too, though. I'll be honest. I never watched that. Oh, I haven't really? seen that one. Well, I don't own a TV. So it's like I watch stuff on my phone. It's, it's very not, limited. I would say watch Misery. For sure, watch yeah. Misery. John Wick. Is, I like Stephen King. I like so John Wick because I just think choreography is really cool. You know, I like violence and For combat. Sure. So it's just that's yeah. all it is. It's yeah. just cool choreography, but not cheesy violence, right? That see, I can yeah. I can't appreciate a movie with some good violence. Um, a tasteful, artistic, real. That's what we're looking for, right? It, we're looking for yes, Braveheart's one of the Braveheart's best. A good one, yeah. Like, but isn't that what we're looking for? Is 
a sense of like realness mm-hmm. truth and you can kind of put yourself in the hero's shoes you know what i mean so like uh, i think that's why people like joker so much too mm-hmm. because um they people some people got really into joker because they like related with him you know what i mean mm-hmm. i'm feeling like an outcast or yep. you know and or a weirdo and These they just perceptions of reality mm-hmm. of, of society i mm-hmm. should say it's very interesting though how we can like go on a hero like uh if, if you're watching braveheart and you, you try to get into their head and then you see them make like brave decisions like you know you're invoking yeah that experience yeah you're taking it upon yeah. yourself you know and he's sitting down there freedom you're like that's oh, me man. down there dude freedom <laughs> yeah. you know like this is oh. it it makes you feel like in like emboldened and like yeah. for sure and you can also get like a vast amount of anger mm-hmm. for characters like mm-hmm. king joffrey on game of thrones oh, like that poor actor, dude. I sure hope they paid him good money because his he has the most annoying face in the world to like eighty percent of America now. Like yeah. he goes out in public and people are like pissed. You yeah. know, he's just which you know that's yeah like, yeah. You gotta and appreciate but, it. I'll be like, dude. But like, do you did you watch that? Like Game of Thrones? Of Thrones? Oh, yeah. yeah okay. So how much did you relish in watching that man? die brutally and that is a weird feeling i was like that's justice yeah that's what that feeling yeah is. and you got that sense of just like yes you die you little bastard prick you know you can deserve this just watching his face yeah. and then his mom's all sad you're like yeah yeah, yeah and then cry. then you're like then you're like dang like this is just a show <laughs> you know shoot <laughs> but that's what i'm saying good tv or good anything like plays whatever it is good acting uh it transcends just a show yeah. you can call it a show and some people will only see a show some people are like eh, this isn't it for me mm-hmm. you know it's you have to have a willingness to literally go beyond the sense perception and enter into the realm of feeling or uh the inexpressible right we're always trying to express um, that faculty of the human condition, but we always fail because most people will only consume superficial things. And it's almost just like building a wall up. But once you see something that invokes such emotion, that wall is obliterated and you go, you go beyond the material, the sensible, and you go to the immaterial, right? To the metaphysical. And, uh, yeah, when you when you see justice or uh, really justice is a huge one, right? Justice you can, is, the, is is the most satisfying yeah. feeling, like justice. Yeah. <laughs> everything balanced, uh-huh. everything existing as it should, mm-hmm. right? And it's not like revenge, like you know, like yeah. oh, revenge is sweet. It's because you sometimes you can regret revenge, you know, mm-hmm. and they portray that oftentimes in movies too, but. Um, focusing on that's christianity speaking i'm just kidding (laughs) um if it is just then oh yeah Yeah, for sure like yeah there's you know just just consequences with just actions you don't want someone like stealing something small and then getting just violently murdered Mm -hmm. brutally slaughtered over it you know Mm -hmm. it's like uh okay that one that one's a little squirrely yeah um I don't know. Sometimes though, you ever watch a movie 
and it's somewhere like someone gets revenge and then they're like oh like like they killed someone and then they're like didn't get any joy out of it it's like yeah. oh like the moral of the story is like revenge and i always think like as soon as they kill them i'm like I would be satisfied, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, as soon as they, I'm like, well, you know, it, now I'm annoyed that they don't enjoy it. I'm like, you know, like, maybe enjoy isn't the right word. <laughs> well, I guess there's an enjoyment to justice. Someone kills your wife, you kill yeah. them, it would yeah. seem enjoyable. Yeah. And, you know, I've heard the argument by a lot of modern philosophers and they say like oh we shouldn't kill these people we should study them so we can figure out like how to correct this um i believe pure grimes takes this point of view and while i i do agree i think we should talk to them at the same time we have to be um we have to be caterers or i guess we have to embody justice itself, right? We know this is something real. We know that when we die, there is going to be some kind of repercussion for our actions, right? Mm-hmm. Or consequence, whether that's a positive one or negative negative one. And I don't mean heaven or hell, but um, because I don't, as pagans, we don't believe in it, eternal damnation. This isn't something of a loving God. This isn't something of goodness. This is That's something of... Uh, envy jealousy of um you know it's it's almost something it's injustice really i think it's absolutely injustice it's absolutely it's also people love to see people lose yeah that's what it is like uh i'm gonna be in heaven and part of that joy is gonna be looking at all the people in hell you know but it's really it really comes from egotism some people will not take that stance they're like oh we're not gonna enjoy seeing people in hell you know and for sure some people are like oh you'll be able to go down there and visit them (laughs) it's really weird though isn't it like that view it's like oh yeah they're gonna be down there in hell but like we can go visit them because we're up high we can go down low too you know (laughs) they just can't come up high with us that's one of the mormon things is is uh, you can go to any level below you, but you cannot go a level up. So if you're in the celestial kingdom, you can go all the way everywhere you want, yeah. but no one else can come to your area. You know, yeah. you're at the top dog. Yeah. <laughs> you're up there with G-O-D. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so your grandchildren, uh, they have to wait for you to come visit them now. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and it's like, yeah, you know, I, I got that when I was young. Like, I, that made sense to me yeah, when I was young. Yeah. I was like, yeah, that makes sense. But then you think, like, but there's still, even the, the Mormons will call it outer darkness, but uh-huh. it's eternal damnation is what yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. And I, I kind of started to see, like, they had some kernels of truth in there, but ultimately it's fallible. Ultimately there's a lot of holes in that. Uh-huh. And no, I think it makes sense that it would be more of a process of purification. It would be showing you truth, Right. And the Egyptians always said that they would weigh uh, weigh your heart against a feather. Uh-huh. So if your li- heart was lighter than the feather, or let's say your your mato- mortal material encumbrance wasn't as heavy um, because you cultivated the noetic fire within your soul instead of uh, the material ego, then you will go naturally where that goes, right? As Proclus said, everything has the capacity to receive uh, anything that has the capacity to receive the higher, it receives it, 
right? So the, this is why we're constantly trying to align ourselves with, with virtue, with justice, with truth, with beauty. Um, because you become what you consume. And that doesn't just mean physically. Like, yeah, you do become what you eat, your body does. But the soul becomes what the soul consumes, right? Everything works as a kind of sympathy. And this is the power of mind. This is the true essence of mind. It can go any which way. You just have to uh, move it with reason. Move it with the ultimate with the ultimate the absolutes truth beauty and goodness and when people fail to do that you get stuck in whatever it is that you uh decided to dig your heels into if it was desire that's what you'll get stuck in and you you'll be purified shown the truth and then you're thrown back into it almost like in a neutral state try again mm -hmm. that's love to me yeah. you know that that's love yeah absolutely and tartarus is still kind of confusing to me just because i haven't really researched a whole lot and i think it's kind of just like a confusing um area anyway not really i don't think so i think tartarus is a pretty simple one think about it like i just said when you die um and the myth of error um is a great myth mm -hmm. by plato i believe mm -hmm. i believe it's plato myth of error er and what happens is he dies the soldier dies on the battlefield mm -hmm. um they find actually the pe the soldiers found that his body was like unscathed and this was a battle that took place um like days and days before a long time so it was the only body that that went without any damage any rotting any uh, signs of death and they put him on a funeral pyre er er and he opens his eyes before they light it and he's like wait uh -huh. he's like I was sent here by the gods and he tells this story of what happened. Uh -huh. He died and he went up, um, he went to the underworld, I should say. And there were two chasms, a chasm that led upwards, a chasm that led downwards. And all of these souls were, um, all of these souls were coming into this area, into this place, into this realm. And he said the old and dusty ones would go downward or first he said they would be purified these old and dusty souls would be purified yeah. in tartarus and then they came to a neutral state and they'd go downwards back to the material back to the terrestrial realm so that they could uh try again and these ones that would come out that were shimmering and beautiful and pure they would go upwards this makes sense, right? Like understands like. This is what happens. when Whatever you liken your mind unto, and we talked about this with Abraham, is if you are constantly worshiping an egotistical God, uh, that's what you'll become, egotistical. And you'll want nothing but people's obedience. You want nothing but control or influence, because it's not true control, or influence and um, wrath, and you know, to, to really go deeper into these intemperate states of being, then that's what you'll become. You'll become intemperate. You'll become wrathful. You'll become uh, a lesser version of what you could be. Yeah, I <clears throat> I understand the um, whole point of Tartarus, and that actually cleared up a lot of things for me. Um, the neutralization of the soul, returning the soul back to a neutral state, and then... Uh, sending it back down um, that made a lot of sense to me because I had never really considered like hell or heaven yeah. since I was just most mainly focused on philosophy and stuff and then as soon as I thought about you that mean mainly focused on heaven right yeah <laughs> yeah isn't that 
Yeah. Isn't that how you escape or how you escape um, the material realm, mm-hmm. right? You, yeah. you try to understand heaven or you yeah. try to understand ultimate truth and yeah. then that's what you become. Uh-huh. I hadn't really considered hell, you know? Yeah. I was worried about heaven. But it's not hell, though, because yeah. it's not eternal damnation. It's uh-huh. all. It's for the good. That's mm-hmm. what we have to understand. The gods are holy good. Yeah. Everything they do is good. Uh-huh. And most people, um, they, they think otherwise because they don't understand Ananke, mm-hmm. right? And Ananke is... Um, what we call necessity is often translated as necessity but more accurately it is what is and cannot be any other way Mm -hmm. and that that's necessary right all of this is necessary it may Mm -hmm. seem like suffering but it's just fate and really we as you know we read in hercules we have the ability to move beyond it yeah um yes but that that actually was super comforting to me when it I read about um, what the purpose of or what happens to corrupted souls or, like, tainted souls. People mm-hmm. have been bad. Um, what do you it, do with dirty laundry? Yeah, you wash it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just, like, that rang true to me when uh, I read it and that we don't believe in eternal damnation. Yeah. That, that is not good, you know. Um, with the divine being wholly good, it isn't capable of... Uh, internal damnation or even how they depict you know god as a father god the father doesn't turn his back on his children he doesn't say you have failed me because of the fates i assigned you therefore you deserve to suffer indefinitely no he corrects and teaches oh well i remember god thought about that when he talked to moses he's like i was so mad he's like maybe i'll just leave (laughs) y'all moses is like no please I, I believe it said something like God even repent in the Bible. God repented for the evils he was going to inflict upon these people. It says that. And it's like, God can inflict evil. Yeah. <laughs> well, what do you think eternal damnation is? You yeah, know, exactly. Yeah. And oh, it's like, an, it's a flaw. It's an obvious flaw. Oh, Jesus cursed the olive tree. Remember? He cursed the olive tree. Are you talking about the story of when he like cultivates a new tree? What? I don't no, know. Jesus had like cursed a tree and made it die he had to like curse something to show his powers of cursing too i don't remember that one wait is that the one when he talks about i don't remember the exact wording but basically he talks about something being grafted onto the tree and he was um indicating christianity like christians non non semites i should Uh say and like basically saying like they'll be grafted onto the tree but they won't reap the fruit (laughs) no um or i believe another this roman lady comes before christ and she says that there's some infliction in her life and she begs for him to uh, bless her with a miracle and um he says something about like why would i give the glory of god to the dogs i can't remember it exactly because she was she wasn't uh semitic and then she says um well master even the dogs can eat upon the scraps she's like all right you got a point there and then she he heals him and that's like what i was talking about that's pretty hardcore and that's uh one thing that i oftentimes will ask my friends um who just you know they're not really christian Mm -hmm. but they're just oh i was born christian my parents are christian or so i'm christian you know i believe in god Mm -hmm. and uh they believe in jesus and 
I always will ask them, like, okay, well, like, what were your ancestors' religion? You know, because you know, they'll say that's why they claim Christianity or Catholicism or uh, Islam is because, like, oh, it's just my family is Christian or my family is Muslim, you know, so I'm Muslim or I'm Christian, mm-hmm. I'm Catholic, I'm Protestant, whatever. Sure. It's because their families. I'm like, okay, well, if you go far enough back, I guarantee you they weren't Christian, you know, yeah. unless you're Jewish, it's right? Relatively new. Without, yeah. You know, all the Abrahamic religions are relatively yeah. new. Yeah. Like, if... Uh, you're going to go back and they're, they're going to be not Christian before that, you know, and, unless you're Jewish. And that's the funny thing is if you are Jewish, then we won't even be having this conversation because you don't even believe in Christ. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, so you got to go past that, you know, um, learn about your ancestors, your, your true ancestral religion. Mm-hmm. And that, that does, you know, sheds a little light on the situation. And I think in that same vein of thinking, you also have to consider, like, well, what do I mean by, you know, my, my peoples? Like, a lot of peoples, or a lot of people, their ancestors are scattered everywhere. I mean, even us, you know, we have a good amount of Scandinavian in us and Welsh, um, but we also have, I'm sure, a lot of other stuff, you know? Like, I don't look too Scandinavian or a Welsh, do I? Like, I... You know, I always, people always think I'm Filipino, which is surprising. I could see that. Austin Staley is Filipino. Yeah, that's true. Or they ask if I'm native. Yeah. But I'm like, honestly, I'm a mutt. I know I'm a mutt. I'm a bunch of stuff. Um, yeah, you're about the same color. Yeah, I'm darker than the rest of my siblings. Yeah, my uncle is pretty dark as well. Yeah. But I, what I was getting at is... Uh, we have to think about it more as a culture. Like a lot of people considered themselves Hellenes, even if they weren't necessarily Greek. You know, it's the culture that they belong to, which is kind of an epicenter. So what what is our culture, though? What is it? We live here in America. We live in Idaho. Um, I would argue to say you could just uh, depict it as the general Western esoteric tradition, right? Which is what we study, Hellenism, Platonism, right? Uh, it is kind of a funny thing, though, because you actually, uh, like, m- when most people think about Vikings, you know, they mm-hmm. think about blonde hair, blue eyes, but most Vikings probably look like you. They're like, you think? yeah, they're like, I think 5'9 was the average height, and they're really? actually a pretty, like, multi, like, diverse color group that had a lot of, like, um, Spaniards, even, like, Italians and stuff, mm-hmm. from what I've heard. But. Yeah, I think, I, honestly, I think there's so much, um, mixing and mashing about <laughs> that's a weird way to say it yeah. but you know people mix and match and um i think there's there's never any kind of like pure um pure ethnicity you know people are yeah. going to vary they're going to vary on their geo geo um geographical location and um obviously geopolitical climate you know what the politics are over there the culture what's again like what we discussed about various gods um being depicted in mm-hmm. or portrayed in different uh ways you know so it's all about what's relative to your own geo- geopolitical climate and there would have been a lot of people traveling it's mm-hmm. do you think people just at one point like never traveled like yeah people yeah. travel you know people travel for sure oh, yeah. um but they're going to be different like mm-hmm. if you take one culture and compare it to another yeah uh you know skin tone is going to be one of the differences but it's also going to be uh, big cultural differences so then you ask like well what is our culture our america was supposedly 
founded on Western philosophies, right? And I would say not really. I would say it's more um, Western philosophies in terms of like Christianity. Um, their whole idea of a republic, I think, is wrongheaded. You know, um, yeah, we got that model, but the intellectuals of the Hellenic society would have said this isn't the right way. Like there's still corruption. There's tyrants, you know, a philosopher King is really the only right way. And that's what happened in Rome. And whenever that happened in Rome, for the most part, it would be a time of abundance and expansion and uh, fertility. Right. I mean, really you look at, uh, like politicians as like, a very well-paying job and a very sleazy job. Like uh, we naturally relate politicians with like lawyers and car salesmen, greasy car salesmen, yeah. you know, it's like, Softest. yeah, po politicians are known just to be dirty muff, <laughs> you know, part of my language, but my efforts, you know, <laughs> like they're, uh, <laughs> they're, uh, sleazy they're sleaze balls yeah. and we know that and like that should not be the role of the politician mm -hmm. they're sophists right that's what plato would equate them to is sophists um and that's why he has so many dialogues that focus on sophists uh mm -hmm. for instance you know i'd say gorgia is one of the biggest mm -hmm. ones mm -hmm. because he's directly talking to someone who is a uh, proclaimed orator and he's actually a rhetorician and that's what sophists are they employ rhetoric in order to steer you towards what they want you to believe the conclusion they want you to come to rather than arriving at truth right it's not a um it's not a true art as he said it's a flattery right it's trying to maximize your own pleasure rather than uh, actually trying to arrive at what's true what is um what is good right so uh, most of these people car salesmen they're just employing the same rhetoric as politicians they understand these patterns um in order to monopolize or i would say in order to take advantage of people's ignorance and uh, benefit from it they figure out in what ways people are ignorant where is there a gray area where we don't have any solid foundations any solid structure or um you know chiseled out um, beliefs or not even that but understandings really is what it is and then they say okay and how can i import my own understanding that does nothing but uh benefits me and me alone my own eagle you could say what whatever um you know whatever pleases my desires mm -hmm. how can i implement this idea in order to uh, steer them away from truth and steer them away and steer them towards what I want them to believe. Mm -hmm. You know, car salesmen do the same way. And I was a car salesman for a while. I saw this, man, that is a, the, I'll just say the stigma of car salesmen is a hundred percent true. It's good thing. A lot of people don't listen to this. Cause I feel like you'd get some angry letters after saying that. <laughs> hey, I've met a few good car salesmen who were, but when I say good, I mean really likable. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like they were nice people, but at the end of the day, they're trying to maximize profit. That's what, yeah. they, and they'll, you know, they might not, they might have their, um, I would say flattery down really well to where all it does is it uh, tricks people better. 
Yeah. You know, because yeah. you're it makes you enjoy being tricked. Yeah, because at the end of the day, you're just trying to get them to do what you want them to do to yeah. please yourself. And um, there's some nicer ways to go about it and some meaner ways to go about it. Exactly. And, you know, some people will be a little bit more real with you. They'll be a little bit more cut and dry. And that's it's still a tactic for the yeah. rhetoric. You know, that yeah. that in and of itself is a tactic for the rhetoric, mm-hmm. because when they say, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get money. Yeah. I'm not trying to I'm not trying to make these people really happy and genuinely happy and um aware of the situation they're getting themselves into, but it's helpful if they but do. But if if they do, exactly, yeah. then I'll be even better at it. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's so <laughs> it's these politicians are employing the same formula. Mm-hmm. They're doing the same thing. They can say, well, if people actually are happy with the end results, maybe even just superficially that means i'm it's just more effective mm-hmm. right it's just more effective because i fooled them to a point where they fooled their themselves entirely they fooled themselves by saying this is what we need mm-hmm. this is truth right here this is real what and it's deception it's nothing but deception mm-hmm. right it's nothing but flattery it's not true art and because in order to perform true art you have to be willing to uh, sacrifice pleasure for truth mm-hmm. and you have and the subject has to be willing to listen mm-hmm. um that is one interesting thing that i've noticed um with people who are super into politics regardless of which side they're on so like if someone's um very like far right or a big trump supporter or someone's the opposite like a hillary supporter or a biden supporter you know they can see the rhetoric on the other side but they can't see the rhetoric on their side both sides like the the left can see the rhetoric on the right and it's just disgusted by it and then the right can see the rhetoric on the left and it's just disgusted by it and they're both right they're just blind to one side and i think (laughs) this is the sad hard truth of it but i think the only way that you would know that it's that what someone is speaking is genuinely true is that it wouldn't divide nations half and half Mm -hmm. no it would divide everyone against that one person you know except for a select few and that's why they have to they have to pander to these half truths Uh both of them Uh and so they're dealing in the realm of half truths Uh it's like that's the best way to fool people Uh depending on just depending on like minor factors Uh which are usually like how you're brought up Mm -hmm. um how you just slightly differently view the world on a superficial level, then you can tip people one way or the other because people can see both or because people can see uh, one side of it better than the other. Then there's those people who are fence sitters and like, well, I see both truths in this, you know, but so I'll be a libertarian because I'm kind of against it all, you know? And then you have those people who are like, no, I'm not getting much truth out of this at all. I'm getting partial truth. You know, mm-hmm. I think we need to pursue the deeper truths that these half truths uh, partake of. And those are the people where everyone looks at it and they're like, you're crazy. You know, you're you're cuckoo. You're out there nuts um, and you scare me. That's what it comes down to. People recognize it subconsciously. They recognize truth. When you when you have a mystical experience, like a lot of people will push against it because they say, no, the ego doesn't want this to be true. It wants half truths. If it has half truths, it can satisfy um, itself uh-huh. because it tricked the soul yeah. into taking partial bait, right? It, uh-huh. it, 
rather than um, the genuine full light. So it gave it, it a tiny little content. flicker. So it can feel content yes. and satisfied. Yep. So it's like just, just justifications. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. And it's very subtle, very yeah. subtle. But the most profound um, reality shattering things, they're seemingly, I would say, they're seemingly intense, but at the core, they are as subtle as subtle can be yeah. because it fits in perfectly. You instantly recognize the truth. You instantly say, this is what I have always known. Yeah. And that's why Plato said, learning is just um, remembering, right? That's all it is. It's remembering. It's remembering what you already know, but you chose to dare, bury deep down within you because the ego took precedent. Is that this material realm? This is where I have influence over. So I'm going to influence it because I need to keep your body alive. I need to keep you well fed. I need to keep you hydrated. I need to keep you um, uh, sexually gratified. And I know I, I need to keep you um, well rested. And it is necessary, but if it's not guided by reason, yeah. if it's only guided by the ego, by desire, the most carnal aspect of the human condition, then you're ultimately just uh, burying yourself. You're ultimately digging deeper and deeper down within the material, and it's harder and harder to see those truths. You're getting lost in the smoke. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <clears throat> That's very cool. Um one thing I have been noticing as of recently since uh, I'm, I haven't used nicotine for seven days and I've been, you know, using nicotine for 12 years, you know, e-cigs. Um, and it's crazy. Like if you want to feel the power of your ego, you know, <laughs> there you go. That is something else. Yeah. It's, it's the ego, the crazy justifications that you'll just come up with like wait like why do i even want to quit you know <laughs> like what's the point like what am i getting from i may as well just use you know it's crazy it'll it'll be quiet and then so i sneak up on you with something like that so you can't recognize it as yes. you know bad yep. you know as it is what it is it's the um ego can definitely come in be a wolf in sheep's clothing <laughs> for sure you know what's crazy about that whole thing when you quit something that isn't a necessity but it's more of a vice mm-hmm. you you recognize the like you said you recognize the pull of the ego mm-hmm. right you know what's crazy too it's heightened even more if you take away something that is necessary for the ego uh, food if you fast when you fast it's like It's like all hands on deck. We need to get this man some food. You know, you push against it so hard and uh, so passionately. Everything about your biology is telling you to eat. It's screaming, eat, please Almost eat. Like being underwater, needing a breath, like, but yep. a little less immediate, intense than that. Exactly. But it's you can just be looking at you like you are now, but. I can't tell, but you have just writhing hunger, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. And that's why so much of these, you know, yogis and uh, mystics and philosophers, they would fast for long periods of time because, you know, it's not like they were malnourished, but they were, they would definitely, um, they would definitely deprive themselves of a necessity like food 
in order to really gain an affinity with the immaterial right it's i'm detaching that much more from the material even though everything about my material embodiment is telling me to to cling to this um if i align it with reason with the mind you could say if i align it with literally mind over matter then i'll be in the realm of mind you know i'm letting mind win for a moment and you'll notice this when you fast even if you fast for like three days i'd say three days on day three is when you enter this state of like you're not hungry anymore even you know and when you're not hungry anymore you just peel back one layer and it's everything seems brighter colors pop out everything seems more clear there's a clarity to the world you're seeing everything i would say closer to its ultimate reality and it's it's an amazing experience um that's where i was gonna go with um overcoming addiction too uh where it sucks really bad but you find out the less you feed it the um less power it has you know what i mean so it's like the first day i thought was the worst yeah you know but um it's just you keep going Mm -hmm. and then you start realizing that you don't need it and it almost gives up you can definitely win that fight um you know it's like that with everything you know a simple really simple kind of cliche-ish phrase where the mind goes energy flows you know and that's so true and by energy it means like your the essence of your being what keeps you um you know your vitality and where your vitality goes if it's aligned by reason um it's going to go to the most reasonable places to the point where it transcends what we consider reasonable or rational and it's because you're taking the object and you're getting closer and closer to the truth um which is the object right the truth is the object and the closer you get to it the less um the less real the subject becomes and then you eventually completely emerge into the object and you become the object and this is like the experience you could say of mind contemplating itself you know, or mind seeing mind. It's um, it's a mirror, and that mirror is the self. And th- that's something else Pierre Grimes talks about is a huge tragedy, a, a major tragedy of Platonic philosophy, is in the translation. They mistran they would mistranslate um, the one self to the one itself, mm. making it almost like um separate Mm -hmm. from you Mm -hmm. and it's just a mistake that was made but it was never corrected there are people who are now starting to return to it um i believe one of them is balboa i don't know their first name but balboa they're a translator of plato so it's actually the one self Mm -hmm. because it is you Mm -hmm. it is you in the truest sense and that's when um or that's why the oracle at delphi the the maxim at Del, at the temple of delphi i should say said know thyself and this was before homer's time even this is as ancient as it gets when it comes to greek um greek civilization greek tradition or culture uh the oracle at delphi 
know thyself. That's one of the deepest wisdoms you could possibly contemplate. And that's why everyone says, who are you? Who am I? Isn't that the greatest question we can ask ourselves? Who am I? Because when you, realize, when you ask yourself, who am I? You come to the realization that you are all. You really are. You're all. But by all, you're nothing. Mm-hmm. You're nothing. You're ineffable. I think that, um, man, Alan Watts had such a good talk on that. He said, you'll just, like, go, f- uh, I don't remember the way he explained it. I forget what it's called. Um, it's Alan Watts finding, like, finding who you are, you know? And he's saying, uh, you think, like, okay, who's having these thoughts? You know, is this, who is that, you know? And then you go there, and then it's like, always one step back. Okay. Who's thinking that, you know, who's thinking that, who's thinking that and you just keep retreating deeper and deeper and deeper. And then you realize there is like no self. (laughs) Um, but Alan Watts said it much better. And, uh, I'm going to hand this back to you, but you were talking about this guy earlier, new, uh, new thinking aloud with Jeffrey Mishloff. Jeffrey Mishloff. Yeah. They, yeah, they have some good podcasts. I yeah, re- listen to all of them. Uh, all the pure grimes. Those are the only ones I've listened to. Are the pure grimes ones, but they're amazing. Uh, yeah, Jeffrey Mishloff. So check him out. He's got some, and he's really like bringing attention back to these um, these deeper uh, understandings, right? These um, these deeper questions that we all ask ourselves, but we ask ourselves subconsciously. And as soon as you make that conscious, that's what you move towards. If you're only thinking about stress because of your bills and the fear that you're going to die at any moment, that something terrible is going to happen to you, that you're going to lose your home, that you're going to lose your job, that you're going to lose this or that, um, then you ask yourself, you know, like, is there meaning to this? Is there any meaning to any of this? And you have to start at that point. And most people start at that point, and then they rashly say no. How could there be? There's no meaning to this. They don't. They. They've been conditioned that way, right? We've been conditioned to think that way. We've been domesticated in that sense, because we only see what's put directly in front of our faces, what we can sense with our material perceptions, right? And earlier when we were talking about movies and the impact they can have and, like, uh, the thought processes that they can inspire, you know, a movie will put you along those lines about what's important. It's Fight Club, man. (laughs) That one. (laughs) You're not your fucking khakis. Yeah, that that is a good movie, and there's definitely, you know, numerous paths to arrive at that, and this is why Plato also said, like, everyone has to understand or has to know their god. They have to know their um, uh, leader god. When you know your leader god, you know, like, through what principles um, you really were birthed from, I could say, um, what, what do you associate or sympathize with the most right what do you relate to the most those principles are our link to the preceding principle which is higher and less right and then you keep going up that way and there's this manifests itself all the way through it all permeates the material right so it manifests itself all um with 
diversity and that's a one path like even in something as simple as movie preferences right it's like this movie is what really spoke to me yeah um and that right there is probably what um the most accurate version of finding yourself is is finding your path mm-hmm. you know what i mean you're you're look for the path instead of who you are you know it's pretty much just what path can you take yeah well it's i think that's something you come to after you ask the question who am i yeah you have to figure out like mm-hmm. well what is it that really speaks to me truthfully and i mean truthfully and there's a distinction between what the ego posits as truth and what really speaks to you and makes you afraid at first right at first and it's not you who's afraid it's the false self because it responds instantly like this isn't good because this threatens my existence this threatens my um influence right Mm -hmm. and you always know i i don't care who you are you know what's true you bury it so deep sometimes that you convince yourself otherwise the ego has kind of pushed itself and made such an influence or impact on you that it has clouded that but it's always there and you know it in the deepest most inner part of you you know what is true and you can feel it because i've been there i go through it constantly i think of it as offensive yeah things as offensive yeah that's offensive it's like that's true yeah you know what i mean yeah that's that is it and and you can, you know this because you're like, look, I am human too. I yeah. know the exact train of thought you go. You, I'm not just pushing this way because it threatens me. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm pushing this way because I've been there and I'm trying to tell you, like, listen to my words. Consider this. And you know that it's when they um, so casually brush it aside, you know, that's that's when you can see, like, it's not the question itself. They're, it's them afraid to even consider the question, because like you're not, you're not seeing it for what it is, you know. Like, and you try to explain it to them, and then you're like, "How am I trying to?" It's so hard to get this mater- this immaterial truth across in a material way, because I know they, I know they know it. They know it. It's and it all falls on you. It's yeah. like I'm to blame for this because I'm messing up. I'm failing right there. I'm not getting through to them. And and I don't mean anything that's like something super profound where it's no. like going to rock the world, but like li- little things, right? Truth exists. Truth exists. Yeah. And that's where, it, that's the point it's gotten to. It's like, that's become a hard question for people. Does truth exist? That's, it's so crazy because yeah. it's so, it's just apparent. It's apparent. <laughs> truth exists. That's like you know true. It. You know it. It's just true. You know, yeah. truth exists. Some like there is underlying cause, or there is yeah. a, a definite structure yeah. that can be observed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like, well, I observe it through my perspective. This is why I say it. you observe it through yours. So, like, it, the truth doesn't exist. It's like what we're observing, yeah, you know, exi- that's truth. We're we're observing something. We yeah. might. You're sitting there trying to explain it. Yeah. You know, as you're saying a uh, truth doesn't exist, you're talking about it. Yeah. You're like sitting there saying, "Oh, this, you know, this book that I can that is right here, it doesn't exist because I'm not looking at it." 
<laughs> and yeah. I've argued with these solopsists, yeah. right? Yeah. Or solopsists. And that's what they say. They, Man, I, I got into a conversation with one and he was saying, okay, think of yourself in the vacuum of space. Okay. And when you're in the vacuum of space, if you've never seen electricity because you're in the vacuum of space, then you've never experienced electricity. So does it even matter if it exists? So by default, you're saying it exists. You're just saying because you don't know that it exists, it doesn't exist. And that doesn't make sense. It's contradictory, right? It's a self-defeating uh, hypothesis or idea. It's It doesn't work. And you know it. You're saying it. And, it, and you're just trying to like get them to see, like, do you see what you're saying? Like, I'm failing right now because you don't see what you're saying. And I'm the one who's trying to advocate for the truth, you know, and it's, it's hard. Here's something. I was watching this video the other day. It's like, uh, I, I wish I could tell you it's called like microscopic under the microscope or something. Mm -hmm. It's just a YouTube channel and they have like very close up microscopic, uh, views of these little creatures and stuff that, um, and I was just thinking, they've always been there yeah. you know yeah I mean, two thousand years those little creatures were there we just <laughs> didn't know they existed you know no one knew that they existed yeah. but they still existed yeah. you know right. it just because we don't know of their existence doesn't mean it's not there it's it's there is an objective reality and i always bring up the quote of socrates where he said uh, you know he's talking about that false intellectual who claimed to know what he didn't know and he said, well, I know I'm smarter than this man because he claims to know what he doesn't know. And I know that I know nothing, right? Um, I know that I, um, what did he say? He said, I know that I, I neither know nor know that I don't know. or And I know that I don't know. And that just confused me. Yeah, that confused me. Too. <laughs> I was conflating two different translations of it, and I'm like, no way. That's a lot of no's. Yeah, let me let me uh, back up and simplify the, the true definition. He knows that he doesn't know, right? right? And that's the first stance every philosopher has to take. They have to admit their own ignorance. It's kind of I. I always think about um like the twelve step program, where it's like the first step is acceptance, right? Yeah. And when you accept it, people say like, no, that's narrow mindedness because, you know, you think everything's black and white. You think you're holding on to like these solid fixed state. And it's like, no, once you say that, yep, truth exists, then you say, but I don't understand it yet. But I know that I don't understand it. Yeah. It opens up. It does the opposite. It doesn't close your mind. Yeah. It opens it wide open because you know oh. that you don't know, but that you can know. Yeah. And that's, you say, ah. That's what I'm doing here. Yeah. I know. I just know that I don't know. Mm -hmm. Thus is the beginning of, mm -hmm. you know, true, genuine life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but the funny thing is, Lossus will say, I know that I don't know, yep. too. Yep. But it's like, ah. Uh, this is where they differ. They say, but I can never know. They yeah. they t accept, they no acknowledge their ignorance. Know. They acknowledge their ignorance and say, because I'm ignorant, Everyone has to be as ignorant as I am. Yeah. You know, no one can know any more than, oh, you don't know. So this, it's the ego again. Mm -hmm. It's the ego again. Yeah. It's coming in and saying, no, 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 I'm still <laughs> surviving this. I can survive this. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay, so yeah, truth exists, but guess what? You don't know either. So what you can't judge me for what I think I might know or I may know because in my subjective reality, I perceive it as that. And who are you to tell me? Because you yeah. don't know. You said it yourself. Mm -hmm. You don't know. Mm -hmm. 
and it's I got caught in that. We yeah. both did. Yeah, oh, we yeah. both got caught in oh, that, yeah. and it's so easy to. Oh, yeah. But and it's a it's a comfortable spot. You could sit in that forever and your just whole life. feed your ego all yep. all day every day. You found the justification yeah. because yeah. you say, ah, <laughs> it's still easy. Mm-hmm. I'm still pleased. You yeah. know, I can chase yeah. that pleasure, and it's still insatiable. And yeah. man, I always think of in the Gorgias when uh, Socrates says pleasure is like a barrel full of holes you can keep pouring water into it but it is always going to leak out and it's going to want more it's insatiable right and where he said wisdom or philosophy is a full barrel it's always still always has been and always will be it's and that's the constant battle right it's like i need to plug these holes you realize you're already here you're really you're already partaking in it and you know it you can say truth doesn't exist, but by saying truth doesn't exist, are you saying that's true? And that's, you know, when we got into an argument with, mm-hmm. with uh, you know, someone who took this um, approach. approach, yeah, we both instantly were like, well, you're contradicting yourself. If yeah. you say truth doesn't exist, you're saying that is a definitive truth, that it doesn't exist. And he's like, well, in my, in my own subjective reality, yeah, it doesn't exist because we can never be true. And it's like, okay, well, that's what you think, right? Uh, like you yeah. said, uh, truth does exist. If you're ta- even talking about anything, uh-huh. you're, you're admitting truth. You always move towards the good. Whatever you uh-huh. perceive as the good is what you perceive as true, uh-huh. right? Where he's, what did he... He did say, uh, this is funny. He said, it, the truth only exists as much as it's uh, moving through a subject or something. Remember? A subjective, uh, mind. a subjective mind. And you're like, it being the truth moving through the subjective mind. Therefore, like the truth exists because it's moving through your mind. And not only does it exist, but it's realer than the mind because it precedes the mind. Yeah. It's ontologically prior to the mind. So, uh-huh. yes, it exists and it's better and we should be moving upwards towards it. Like, yeah. okay, then let's get past the subject. But you can't know what the truth is because it's going through a subjective mind. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, okay, um, well, if you can admit that there's truth and that it's passing through something, let's take away the thing that it's passing through. If you can see that, how can you see that? Yeah. Unless you see that it's passing through something. So you see the source of it Uh and you see that it's passing through a thing and you're saying, oh, this thing's holding me up right here. Uh It's like, it's like I can see the end of the race, you know, but Mm -hmm. I'm right here. Yeah. It's like, oh, you can't move towards it. Yeah. You know, isn't that how we do it? We move towards it. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. Um, Man, I just had another thought that was really funny. What? Oh, I said sorry. I oh, you're fine. Um, uh, I don't remember what I was going to say. Oh. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, so the whole, like, subjectivist approach, um, it's a self-defeating approach, right? Because you're instantly saying, <clears throat> and this is a great thing. They all, you, you can't ask them this question. Is there any way to know? That your subjective experience resembles the external world. And they say, well, I can't even admit that the external world exists because I can only see through my own. So it's, so it's no. That's your answer. It's no. There isn't any way. You are automatically locking yourself up within yourself. Uh-huh. And we're talking about the self in a third person. Uh-huh. Uh, and, you know, in a third person way so how can we take a third person perspective and talk about the self 
how can we talk about our body? What are we saying when we say our body? What is, what's the me? What's the me in that question? I can perceive this thing and I can perceive that it's separate from my thoughts. Well, where are my thoughts? Are they in my brain? Then you look in your brain. It's like, well, I see some lights in here. I see some electricity, right? It, it, it's transmitting through these neurons. Okay, you see some electricity. Does that explain the thought of me perceiving that this is electricity? Where's that? I can't see that thought. I'm only ever operating through that thought. So what is that? Thinking? What is thinking? Mind. It's mind manifesting, right? It's moving towards oneself, the mind contemplating the mind. And this is how in our theology or even in our theology um, podcast, we talked about the one overspilling, overflowing. And what, what happens? It automatically pursues its cause. It goes right because everything it desires, what's good. So it pursues the cause. And as it comes to the cause, it recognizes the cause or it meets the cause. And it says, okay, this is being, this is existence. I'm perceiving myself. I exist, but take it further. What's the pursuit of the cause? It's vitality, right? And what happens when you perceive your source, when you perceive your source intellect, intellect right? That gives way to intelligence. Mm -hmm. You're intellecting about it. You're contemplating it being intellect like vitality self you're self-aware and that's why plato's um true translation of the one self is so important because when you say the one itself you're automatically presupposing that the one itself is separate from you and then you then you don't ask the question or at least not as directly what am i you're the one it's all connected you're the one self yeah. like you are the one experiencing itself. That's what you are. Experience. That's a doozy. That's a uh, whatever. Mistranslation. Mis mistranslation. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty doozy. But, um, you know, it doesn't really. There's still people have come to that same conclusion. Uh, you know, not no, not having that translation because yeah. all yeah. all everything teaches that. Everything teaches that, yeah. and that's one of the crazy things or the very exciting things to see when with all the different pagan religions is that is one of the underlying core principles is just truth exists yeah and you are truth mm -hmm. you know you mm -hmm. in the truest sense mm -hmm. you are truth mm -hmm. you just have to be able to know yourself understand personal. yourself no it's because when people say personal truth that that's desirable truth and when you say desirable truth, that's material truth. And when you say material truth, you say not true. You say illusory mm -hmm. because that's what it is. The material is illusory. It's the gods are realer than the very ground we stand upon, right? That's something that we've both read before yeah. because it precedes the ground. It's what the ground is predicated upon, the principles that make up the ground. And it's beyond experience, really. It's beyond experience. And when you move beyond experience, what else is there to say? What you do? You say you can't say anything. No. Nope. Uh, one thing I wanted to say is, uh, Pierre Grimes. How much does he look like a philosopher now that he's <laughs> oh all now that he's super old? You know, I was watching his like white or his uh, blackboard videos mm -hmm. and stuff like that. He looks like Indiana Jonesy, you yeah. know, like that. 
like cool like suave professor then uh, then you see him on uh what's his name jeffrey mishlove yeah um see him on his show and he's like m- far older pure white hair like uh nice loose polo on like yeah. with the uh, um buttons all undone yeah. and he just looks looks so wise man yeah. like he looks like a philosopher i love yeah. that and it's not even like a personality cult thing where it's like oh he looks like one so he is one no you just you look at him and you're like this he understands you know he like he he knows and um people call it the 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 stench of enlightenment (laughs) and and when you hear him explain these super complex metaphysical ideas he just explains them with like such grace and ease and he's never caught off guard or annoyed by anything. He's, he's got an answer and he understands your mentality that needs the question that uh, begs a question. You know what I mean? Cause he's, he's looked at it so many different ways. He's very learned. He knows what he's talking about. And so, you know, you got it right as soon as he starts talking, but there are points and I've seen it where, I don't know if you misremember something, but he was wrong about something. Uh-huh. And and Jeffrey Mishlov was like, well, hey, I would say this because of this about uh-huh. that. And he's like, yeah, you you know, you're right. He's like, uh-huh. no, you're right. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then they realize like, oh, we just arrived at a greater truth. He's like, oh, okay. Because I, I think specifically yeah. what it was is they were talking about um, the Iliad. And they're talking about when Achilles finally put aside his wrath, put aside his anger. And, and he gave his... Um, I'm okay. And he gave his armor to uh, Patroclus, which um, was actually, which was his lover, not his, um, you know, not his cousin, like he's portrayed yeah. in the movie. And um, he put aside his anger. He's like, I am done. He said, I believe he said something like, my wrath is, um, is like the sweet droplets of honey. Or the, or the dripping of honey. Yeah. That's a good movie. <laughs> that is, a, that is a good movie. It's, it's really wrong in a lot of ways, but it's still a good movie. I like that movie. Um, <laughs> yeah. So he really, but then, um, and then he's like, and that's, and Pierre Grimes said, and that's when he set aside his anger and he kind of allowed divine luminosity to, um, you know, fill him. And then Jeffrey Mishlov is like, well, but then he also kills Hector and he drags his body around seven <laughs> times in order to like, you know, um, uh defile, defile his body yeah. yeah it's like wouldn't you say that's an act of wrath and he's like yeah you're right he's like that de- <laughs> he's like that definitely is and then you know the truth that they arrived at what? was the same one that that we've been talking about uh since we read the orpheus and eurydice uh-huh. myth which is even after you align yourself with these divine principles it is always one more act of material encumbrance or the material condition the mortal condition that ends up being your detriment yeah and once you die it's like that's the final lesson they learned yeah. that's it yeah. that was the last one they had to learn yeah. and then they move on and that's why they're heroes right uh-huh. they're not gods they're yeah. demigods they're heroes uh-huh. they come up and they live amongst the gods you know why because they still transcended whatever this is yeah you know they might yeah. they it might not be gods but they transcended this yeah, they're, up, they're, <laughs> they're, up they're ontologically yeah, yeah uh up the ladder yeah, up the ontological ladder for sure compared to us and that could be uh signified by them being cast into the stars exactly exactly you're put amongst the divine stars right and you know when you look at everything when you look at the night sky which we do often here we have a really um it, we're pretty lucky and 
and fortunate to be able to look up at night and see the stars, you know, especially when it's like a new moon and you see the Milky Way. Um, you're looking out at everything, right? You're, you're gazing into the unknown abyss, right? Which is a really manifestation of your own ignorance. And you kind of stare your own ignorance in the face and you say, ah, I don't know anything. But it's out there. It's right yeah, there. Yeah. It's right there. Maybe when you get a telescope, that gets yeah. way different too. It's yeah. like, holy shit. <laughs> you realize even more like yeah. because it becomes just that much more uh, conscious. Like uh-huh. it, it comes to the forefront of your, um, you know, everyday awareness. And you're like, oh, wow. Like this is staring <laughs> me in the face like, at all times. That's always up there. <laughs> yeah. Like what in the world? That thing's big. And that's why, you know. You look at anything that is beautiful, that resembles beauty, that inspires awe or moves you towards something deep, you recognize there is a higher truth to it, right? It's a higher good in and of itself. And when you look at beauty, what you're really moving towards is beauty itself. And beauty itself is an absolute immaterial principle or reality that transcends the material. And so it moves you that much closer to the one. Right. And when you look at at something like the stars and this is why they all all the planets have, you know, significations to them. They're all significant and um, they're all able to portray various principles that are acting upon our own sublunar realm. And that's why we talk about the cosmic gods. Right. It's the physical bodies of what we can see. Yeah. It might not be that we're looking at the one itself, but are we not always looking at the one? you know so in a way you are it's ontologically prior it's realer than you the one self yeah it's realer than you um but it's just like taking that much peeling that much more layers back right and you're getting that much closer to the object which is truth itself and that's what we really are it's just moving towards it when we realize it so I guess if you want to pull back a few layers, you just look through a telescope after you fasted for three days. You know, <laughs> that's going two levels deep, huh? <laughs> oh, you know what? You could add some Wim Hof breathing on top of there that too. Go. Yeah, some um, meditation sessions, um, not doing monotonous work like you do in everyday life, and just like really meditating all day, reading maybe every now and then to take a break from your meditations. But yeah, no, you, that's what we're doing, right? We're peeling back layers. Yeah. We're taking away um, what we perceive as truth, which is really superficial. And we're looking at the deeper immaterial reality that that is built upon. We should probably, we should maybe even do like a fasting podcast. Like we'll go do like a three day fast or something. And then we'll just, yeah, let's do a three day fast, dude. Like after tonight, we fast? Yeah. Right now or when? I'm committing to it right now. I'll fast starting tonight. Okay. You down? Yeah, I'm down. I'll save money too. That's the cool thing. Finish drinking this beer and then I'm, yeah. Oh yeah. I'm going to eat some pizza when I get home, (laughs) but I mean, starting tomorrow morning when we wake up, we're not eating. Yeah. Fasting for three days and three days until I'll eat Tuesday. And we said it on the podcast. There's no way I'm going to bitch out. And and I'm not, I'm not editing this, uh, you know, at all. So, uh, yeah, no, we'll eat Tuesday deal. Even if you have to work Monday. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, because I don't work Monday, but you don't know if you have to yet. So, yeah, all right. You heard it right here. Uh, we're going to be fasting starting tomorrow morning. Yeah. I'll probably go to bed tonight around oh, 11. Yeah. And um, and it's right now it's 822 for reference. So yeah. and then we'll be fasting for 72 hours. 72 hours, okay. 
ah, uh, man, and I'm going to still be experiencing nicotine withdrawals. So what were you just talking it might about help with, with it. What? What were you just talking about with our temple brother? About when you when you when you choose to be disciplined, you go all the way rather than just like yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know picking one little thing where it's like all right, I need to stop this. It's like nope, I'm doing it all. Let's. It's almost like a purge, right? Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, nope, I'm gonna do everything. I'm gonna be better. I'm gonna wake up. I'm gonna wake up early. I'm gonna exercise for an hour. I'm gonna fast. I'm gonna eat healthy. I'm gonna quit smoking my e cig. Yep. You know, I'm not gonna. Um, uh, drink, drink, uh, any beer. I'm just gonna, and then I wake up and I don't work out. So then I don't do any of it. <laughs> uh, but no, I've, I've been doing very good on quitting nicotine right now. I've decided the best way for me to actually follow through with things is to do it one step at a time. Um, that's something that Jordan Peterson often talks about actually too, I believe. Um, I used to really enjoy listening to Jordan Peterson and I've kind of listened to one or two of his more recent or one of his one or two of his videos recently, but that is one of the topics he discusses is um, you're not going to fix the world in a day, you know, start with cleaning your room. Uh, that's uh, It's funny. A lot of people mock that. I'm like, I always go back to not even kidding. Michael Jackson. I say, I'm starting with the man in the mirror. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Asking him to change his ways. No message could have been any clearer. If you want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself and make that change. Na 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 na. Yeah, that's a pretty good uh, song, though. I know Troy really likes that one. <laughs> he says that's the that song was the reason he went on his mission. Are you serious? Yeah. So, I mean, it, it instills that, that message. Though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, For sure. Everyone does. Everyone moves towards it, right? Everyone's motivated by the good, yeah. e no matter how they perceive it. Even if, you know, even if you perceive next to nothing of it, it's still next to you. You perceive some of it always. You have to. If you exist, you perceive some truth. No matter how deep you try to shove it, no matter you know how how much you're led astray, that's what you're constantly moving towards, and that's why you are led astray because it's like, okay, I'm presented with these partial truths, right, that, that um, are enough to – are enough to I don't want to say is deceive me, but are I would say are enough to occupy my attention, right? Because they're they are true to some degree, but to what degree do we have to go? And I think that's when it gets that's when it gets hard. That's when it gets really hard to where you realize like, man, I really am like ignorant as it gets oh, yeah. you know yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because it's like like comparing a little flint and stone to like i don't know like a nuclear bomb you know or like the sun it's yeah. like like take taking flint and stone like making a little spark and you're like this is what i know yeah. and then you see the source of fire and it's like all consuming and you know has has like the force of creation itself uh -huh. um and then you're like oh that's nothing. That's like a little part of it. You got to start somewhere though, yeah. you know, and then you have to build upon that. And um, this is when it becomes dangerous because once you start saying, 
well, hold on. I don't think you're accurately representing the truth here. You know, I think I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, I think you're wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, you say you're wrong and then people go, oh, the hubris on this guy. Yeah. <laughs> 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 he he thinks he knows more than me. <laughs> yeah. Dude, that is so true. And I felt you felt that before. Yeah. Like, so, so, so you're like, you instantly like, well, I'm pretty sure I'm not wrong, <laughs> yeah. you know? And then you have to think, it's like, think about it for a second. And, we'll, and what do you do when you actually think about it? Uh, you use your logic to you see if reason, it's, yeah, right? reason and to see say, if it's true. No, I'm going to overcome this. I'm going to get out of my own way, mm-hmm. and I'm going to move towards what's reasonable. And once yeah. you take the motions out of it, or once, you know, if you look at Plato, the emotions or the thumos is uh, the white horse that, that is represents spiritedness it's what you move towards passionately mm-hmm. if it's aligned with reason you can uh tame it right and you can move it accordingly yeah i i often though i do that a lot i'll say okay i'm gonna have to you know kind of put my feelings aside for this and look at this for what it is like um and sometimes i'll do that i'm like no i'm definitely right you know yeah. like yeah. Uh, so people like especially subjectivists you know i'll think about the ideas i mean but subjectivism is i'm so certain about it because i was so certain about it before you know what i mean i'm so certain that it's wrong and i know that because i was so certain it was right at a at one point you know Mm -hmm. and i dismantled it and it's once you accept the one little fact that truth exists (laughs) you know and you don't know and you don't you you're not the source of it. Yeah. But, but once you recognize that it does indeed exist, you yeah. say, oh, that means it's possible for me to know because I just yeah. came from point A to point B. Yeah. I just came from non-truth to truth, even though that truth is um, even just the very tiniest tip of the iceberg. I at least like landed my feet on something solid, you yeah. know, or, or something uh, real. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's that's where you need to get out of your own way and then once you can get out of your own way right there everything else everything else just yes clicks into place Mm -hmm. and you know it's a constant journey right or i would say it's a constant dance right you're always trying to it's like okay i can hear there's music playing now now i just have to dance to its rhythm because i've just been stumbling through getting stepped on you know and once you say okay i can I can hear a little, I can hear an octave that they're in They're You know, they're going to, uh, this time signature. It's like, Oh, I start to move my feet. I'm somewhat resembling the rhythm or the flow of this dance. It's like, I'm getting closer. And it's like, you look at people who are still stumbling, getting stepped on. And you're like, Hey, like if you just, you know, do this, you can act, you, you can start to, um, uh, actually move along with it and, uh, start to appreciate it, start to have fun, you know? And then they're like, no, I'm doing it fine. Thank yeah. you. Because I don't know what it's like to do what you're doing. So I'm going to say I'm right in this, yeah. you know, and they just keep getting stepped on and you're like, Oh, okay. I mean, I guess like, you know, if that's what you really want, then, then you feel guilty though. You're like, shoot, man. Like I'm seeing this person get stepped on and they don't have to get stepped on. Yeah. You know, they can get up and move around and start to sway to this yeah. rhythm, even though you're going to be clumsy about it and not perfect or beautiful. Yeah. Um, you can at least like, enjoy yourself you can at least have fun you can at least uh 
put things in the right place, people you know? Like call your, people like to call names, though. Yeah. If, <laughs> people like to... I don't know. It's easy to get accused of um, being egotistical or something yeah. if you're saying that, you know, truth exists. <laughs> you know? <laughs> people are like, well, who are you to say truth exists? Yeah, you know? Exactly. Like... What's this guy thinking knows more than me? Huh? Some kind of wise guy? (laughs) I'm just, uh, you know, shedding light on a fact that we all know. It's like, don't, please don't take that route. Please don't try to say that it doesn't exist. You know, just vocalizing it. Like, who's he think he is to vocalize this? Yeah, exactly. Why does he get the right to say that we don't know? You know, it's like, I don't like that thought. Because then I have to work. Then I then I realize, like, I'm not doing as good as I can. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that makes us afraid. We're like, well, oh, no, is this sacrifice. not? Yeah, I have to sacrifice. I have to change. Yeah. Oh, no. I have to kill my old self off. Oh, like, no. Yeah. It's oh. like, it's like, whoa, you know, that's a loaded statement. Like, there's a lot of heavy aspects that I'm not willing to, t- to consider uh, if I take that approach. So, no, screw you for trying to ruin my happiness. You know, yeah. screw you for trying to ruin my perception of pleasures that make me feel comfortable. But it, it's like, are you comfortable? You know, are, are you, do you feel okay? It's like, is ignorance truly bliss? Uh-huh. Is it? Uh-huh. Like, I don't know. I don't know if that's the case. Mm-hmm. Um, someone said something to- to me today that was yeah that was pretty funny they said i was you know kind of justifying to myself i was like oh, i might uh use my use my e-cig or something you know i might go get a disposal and they're like well you just have to decide is uh do you enjoy the feeling of discipline more than you enjoy the feeling of um nicotine i was like i don't know it was like do you enjoy the feeling of discipline like you know it sucks yeah but you must enjoy it. And then you say, wait, who's enjoying what? You know, it's like, <laughs> wait, who's this that I'm talking about yeah. right now? Yeah. Am I talking, I'm talking about myself. How am I talking about myself? Yeah. Then what am I? A separate thing that's considering myself. So is what I'm calling myself myself. It's like, how am I having this conversation? Yeah. And what is it that I'm observing? The, what is this subject that I'm observing? It's yourself. And you're saying, oh, I feel like I don't want to. You know, you're like, I don't, I don't, I, I feel like I don't want to, but a lot more of me feels like it wants to. Yeah, but I'm not. It's harder to hear. Yeah, but I'm not doing it. Why? Why am I not, why am I not succumbing? (laughs) You know? It's like, it's like, I think it's just because I don't have to. And I'm realizing like, Oh, I don't have to do that. Uh-uh. You know, it's like, I don't need to. So why do I? So who's in control right now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's weird. Who's influencing the direction I take? Who, who's denying pleasure from me? You Ooh. know, it's like, oh, that's actually me. You that's know? Me. Yeah. yeah. That's That's the one self. Mm-hmm. And it's like. Again, what you move towards, you become. I'm gonna plug my phone in real quick. Oh, okay. We're going on about two yeah, hours. Yeah, we are going on about two hours. Um, <laughs> uh, 
I we did I will say we made one edit because we stopped and we thought man we got to take a jiu-jitsu break yeah we just had some angst and we hadn't really been moving much lately we just got you know we just finished our work week so like we got to move around a bit um and that was a good break though it really re-energized me and i'm i think we should do another one i was just gonna i was just gonna say i think i'm ready for round two (laughs) (laughs) well we're going on two hours now um what do you think should we end it say we just end it and we'll do some jujitsu and you know what if we wanted to do another podcast after that we could do another one but uh probably pretty tired it's nice we got this three-day weekend three-day fast mm. oh, i forgot about that already <laughs> oh no <laughs> you fail well hey i i did say we're gonna start tomorrow but no yeah. we are starting tomorrow yeah um so yeah stay tuned for that i feel like since we have a three-day weekend we can we'll probably be hanging out um yeah. we you know we live only like i don't know 20 minutes away from each other yeah. um and i always love coming out here and we like doing stuff together so uh yeah we should make make a podcast each day that we're doing our fast maybe just go into a topic i think it's a good time to start on um heracles the myth of heracles and go through his 12 labors so we'll do that while we're fasting i'd say a little little um micro microcosmic uh hero's journey (laughs) all right so you know what is what uh word just came up today on youtube or uh no it was on reddit i was like oh my gosh microaggression yeah no. that's a bit of a microaggression i was like what the fuck? you just say i'm not i'm not gonna lend any more credence to these <laughs> because we've been talking about this these type of people for a bit now <laughs> and you know whatever you move towards you become so <laughs> um no but all in all seriousness yeah well we're gonna start fasting tomorrow we're gonna I think we're going to go scuba diving this Sunday. Um, we always like getting out and doing stuff. I mean, that's why we, you know, live out here where we do a wave, you know, for those who don't know, Idaho only has 1.5 million people. And, um, you don't really realize how many people are everywhere until you either, uh, travel or you get on the internet and you're like holy cow you know like yeah. there's a lot of people from this place i if i run into someone from idaho on the internet i'm like oh whoa where are you you know like yeah. let's meet up yeah. <laughs> and then people are like yeah you know i know this person who lives in california it's like oh that person's an alien to me i don't know yeah. you know they yeah. live oh they live in northern california it's like well yeah. i don't even know what that's like you know i live yeah. out here on the beach it's always hot and sunny here yeah. you know it's like totally different um so, yeah, we like to do a lot of fun stuff, hiking, camping, backpacking. Um, we like to get out. That's that's what we're here for. It's healthy to escape people. And, you know, um, I love people. I need people. I think as do you, right? We're very people-oriented. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, you, you for your own health, you have to seclude yourself. And yeah. even if it's something like detaching a little bit from, like, food, like fasting, right? Mm-hmm. You still go deeper within the true self. I definitely enjoy um, people and I enjoy conversations and meeting new people and definitely enjoy the feeling of community, but I definitely recharge uh, in solitude. Mm -hmm. Like I like to be alone to recharge or just, you know, uh, sometimes with one person I can hang out with you or Justin's busy or just spend the day talking afar, you know, someone, someone where you don't 
really have to like pretend you know yeah it's like okay yeah. i can just relax and yeah and kind of free flow right mm-hmm. yeah I, I can risk saying something stupid you know mm-hmm. we can laugh about it <laughs> but yeah let's uh we're gonna set up the mats and go ahead and do uh some more jujitsu go ahead we should definitely be doing jujitsu through this whole fast too Oh yeah, you know, it'd yeah. be a, be a bit of a detoxifier, um, detox some stuff, and I think maybe we should talk about jujitsu since we're gonna be talking about Heracles. We should um, talk about jujitsu. We should yeah. you know bring that in because <clears throat> Heracles and um, you know like Mercury, those guys are very much attached to wrestling um, and associated with you know grappling and. Uh, feats of strength and whatnot, vigorous exercise. So we should tie that in since we're going to be uh, delving into Heracles. Yeah, definitely. So with that being said, we will talk to you all in the next episode. Yeah. And if you want any more information as usual, um, we are both in Temple the Hermetic One. <clears throat> excuse me, Temple the Hermetic One. And you can find more information by visiting our site, templehermetic.one. We have a uh, section on selected teachings and frequently asked questions we also have a facebook page temple of the hermetic one and i have an instagram page where we talk about philosophy and uh, the exigen- uh, exigencies of our time sorry um Athenophis, e-t-h-a-n-a-p-h-i-s that's my instagram name and do a plug for mori house oh yeah as usual too if you really like this music as we do we we love this music um i get runescape vibes from it but it's so good (laughs) i get like really it's it's really mystical you know and it and it's the type of music i am always searching for but i have a hard time finding um go to like go get on runescape and do like the like march of the goblin king or something (laughs) like that it's a pretty good one (laughs) yeah runescape man Uh, on repeat Back yeah. in the day, getting like uh, giant bones and stuff. Just listen to that goblin <laughs> song. <laughs> that is a good game, oh, man. Yeah. That was—it's very nostalgic, you know. Looking back on, like, I downloaded it today on your phone. No, on the computer. It's on your phone too. You know that? Uh, I had seen something like that. I know Dofus is. Now, yeah, but I, I can't—I can't lend a lot of time to no. video games. I have a hard time. Like, notice they're not as uh, satisfying to me anymore. I turn them off real quick. Yeah, it's like just I'm like. That's enough of yeah, that. For sure. It's like, I, I'm going to go outside a yeah. little. You know, I'm going to hang out with some people. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure it's healthy. But yeah, the artist, sorry. Uh, this really is just a no script, uh, you know, yeah. laid back, off the cuff kind of podcast. Um, But Maury Haas, M-O-R-I-H-A-U-S, I believe. Um, that's his artist name on Bandcamp. Uh, he was kind enough to make this soundtrack for us and uh really make some good stuff so check him out he's spectacular and uh he's a temple brother as well but that being said thank you all for tuning in and we will see you next time as always all in one one and all enjoy that background music yeah (laughs) bye everyone